I'm excited. You know why? I get to preach today. I haven't preached for a couple of weeks, so I'm like, woo, I can't wait to get back into the pulpit and encourage all you all. I'm so excited. And we have some good news at the end of the service, so I'm going to make you wait. <laughs> but it's good news. You guys will be very excited. But I'm so glad to be here, and I love what God is doing not only at Faith Builders Church in North Phoenix, Arizona, but the Church of Jesus Christ. I have such an expectation that the Church of Jesus is going to rise in this hour like never before. Amen. And, I, you know, I see on, on Facebook a lot of times people just criticizing the churches and nobody's preaching truth and nobody's talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm like, actually, that's not true. There's probably some churches that aren't, but there are a lot that are. Amen. And we're going to see the, the rise and the health of the church like we've never seen it in a very long time and maybe never before because I believe we're living in a different time, amen? So um, my message this morning is called In the House and I've been wanting to really talk about um, this, this desire of my heart and, and the children and uh, making sure that we're providing a place for young people and that we're reaching the next generation. You've heard me uh, share probably multiple times of my passion from the pulpit about this generation's being targeted by the enemy and really being ripped off. And I feel, I know we as a church have has a responsibility, amen. So I want to share some things with you that's on my heart. I'm not going to go into a lot of details. I have a lot to say today, but over the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing a little bit more and a little bit more. But um, in this topic today about in the house, I'm going to start in uh, Hebrews 11, and we're not going to open it up there. Could I ask one thing? Could I get some house lights? I just need to see all of your beautiful faces. So. Excuse me. We're going to start in Hebrews 11, but we're not going to open up the verse for the sake of time. But this is where we read about the Hall of Faith, you know, the Hall of Fame, where the Hebrews list all the people of faith that have done great and mighty things in scriptures. And they've been found in the New Testament for something great that they've done. Just in these few verses where we learn about Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. They're prophets that did wonderful things. And, and we read about them in this chapter of faith. But one thing that I want to focus on that they all did, and they have many different stories, but the one thing they all did is they made sure that they took care of their families. They protected and took care of their families at all cost. And I believe we are living in a time in the kingdom that we have to protect and take care of our families. If you're raising children, it is the hour to sound the alarm that the righteousness of God has to arise in the hearts and the mouths of parents today because you need the wisdom and the anointing of God to raise this generation. There is an evil satanic spirit against them to wipe out their identity, wipe out their sexuality, wipe out their courage and their strength. And I believe the church needs to arise in this hour, amen, and every family unit has to say, I have a place to play in this thing of protecting our children. I don't know, I'm a little older than a lot of you, but I grew up in a time where when we ran around the neighborhood that everybody's mo everybody mothered your children. Anybody remember that? Like we lived in a time where um, if we were out messing around and our neighbor found out, we got in trouble by our neighbors. And then they would tell our mom, or they might beat you themselves, you know. They might just get a switch and spank you. We never tell our parents what happened. But I believe we're living in a time where that's how the church needs to be. You may not have children. You may have raised children. I don't know what demographic you are in the realm of a family. But we have a generation to take care of. 
We have a generation that we as the church needs to pass the baton of courage and faith and strength and know the power and the kingdom of God, amen? And the world's not going to give it to them. The world's going to take it away from them. But we as the church have to be responsible to take care of them, amen? So the most important thing you'll ever do in your life personally is to receive Jesus as your own Lord and Savior. And to make him the, the king of your life. Surrender to his lordship. And what I mean is not just get born again. Thank God we can get born again and we're going to go to heaven. But when you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, now you're allowing the word to transform you. Now there's conviction. Now there's immorality God wants to get out of your life. Now there's a righteous standard God wants to raise in your life. God is sounding the alarm to the families and the people of God that it's time to raise the lordship of God in our life. Amen. It's not enough to just come to church anymore. It's not enough to just have a good worship song. We better know the power of the Holy Spirit in this hour because we have a battle that's going on in the world today. The beautiful news is we know we win, but we better get in the battle right now. We got to quit sitting on the sidelines just, well, God will take care of it. No, we better get in the battle and begin to fight for this generation. Fight for your children and your children's children to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Amen? A born-again experience. And so your number one responsibility is you, but your number two responsibility is for the salvation of your children and your family. We better have some dogma faith right now. We better get what the word of God says. I'm going to hit my knees in the altar of God, and I'm going to bring my family to an encounter with Jesus Christ. Because we need to bring them to a safe place. And I'm going to share with you what that safe place is. There's a lot of things in the world right now. If you watch a little bit of news or TikTok, there's a lot of clamor and things that's trying to get our attention. There's so much going on in the news today. There's so many things that want us to look here and look there. And we can get so caught up with the things that we're facing in our life that we forget the priority of our family. Do you know you can get so torn even having multiple kids and they go to this soccer game and that soccer game. You've got dance over here. You've got this recital over here. And you're so busy, which there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're not prioritizing the kingdom of God and the center of all of that, we will lose our families. Because we are not living in normal times in America. We are living in toxic times where the enemy is trying to not only wipe out the family but wipe out the church. And we've got to recognize those things that are grabbing our attention, even in our families, that are away from the priority of the salvation and the kingdom of God in our homes. And we've been hearing that over the last few weeks in, in the messages. Number one point this morning is a lot of things will try to get your attention, but the salvation of your family is a priority. It's a priority especially if you're still raising children in this hour, it's a priority. Now, I have not reared children on my own. I helped with Samaya, but I was raised by kingdom parents. And I was raised by what the word of God says. So I'm going to speak from the passion, walking as a woman of God today, walking as a woman with moral convictions in my life, with healthy boundaries in my life, serving God 34 years later in the kingdom of God. It came because parents put healthy priorities and boundaries in my life. There's been many people that have come to my mom and says, oh, I pray I have a daughter like, like Pastor Barr. I mean, that's like a great compliment. But she's like, if you really want that, there's going to be some things you're going to need to do. 
She didn't just turn out like that because, the, you know, she's a good kid. No, there were some things we did. And I want to help you this morning with some things that has caused me to serve God. My brother's serving God. He's got a Christian wife. He's got two children in the ministry, married to Christian women, raising children in the house of the Lord. Because there are boundaries that we have to set in our children and in our family's life to make priority the kingdom of God. This isn't rules and regulations. It's not legalism. It's a platform to teach us how to make sure that we ensure that your children's children will serve God all the days of their life. You are, you can be that person in the Hall of Fame. There is something powerful about raising a godly family. And I want to share that maybe you've raised your family and there's been things that happen. You can't look back. There's grace, grace. Say, I receive grace. There's grace, because sometimes we parent the best that we know how to parent. We parent with the tools that we have been given. But you can start now and say, I'm going to start being on, on target to reach my children for Jesus Christ and give them what they need. But if we look in Joshua chapter 2, we're going to look at one of the people of faith today, and that, that was Rahab. And she has such an incredible story, and I'm going to read some verses, and then we're going to reflect. It says this in Joshua 2, Before the spies lay down for the night, they, she went up to the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. I want to stop right there. This is what the church of Jesus Christ should look like. That the power of God should be so manifested in our lives and in our churches that the righteousness of God should be such a high standard that the world trembles because of our God. They tremble in fear because of righteous judgment, because of standing up for what's right, standing up for what the word of God says, not being afraid or backing down because the Goliath of media and government would try to tell the church and Christians how we should live and how we should stand instead of the power and the authority of the word of God. We are bowing our knees to the idols of the world instead of bowing our knees to the word of God. And the world is not afraid of the church. They are not afraid of us. Matter of fact, they know they can shut us down at any time because they already did it once. And we didn't know much. So we're like, we're afraid. We don't, we've never been here before. But I can tell you this on Jesus. I will never shut the doors of the church again. I will never do it. And if people are afraid, they're able to watch online and they can stay home. But the church is a place of refuge. It's a place of healing. It's a place of freedom. And it's a place that should never be shut down by any force. Because even God will never shut his church down. We need to get back to being the church. We're afraid, we're intimidated, we, we can't even tell our friends truth because we don't even know the word ourselves. We're not walking in power and authority that God's called us to walk into. You should be able to walk in a grocery store and lay hands on someone and demons come out of them in the name of Jesus. You should walk into a store and the presence of God flood that place and there can be revival and breakout and worship. That's what the church is going to look like. It's going to happen in the highways and the byways. The miracle of God is going to go out, but we have to be positioned to say, God, I'm going to live by a standard that the world doesn't say I should live by. So let's go on to say, 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea, for you have come out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Gog, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Can you imagine walking into New York City, which has raised up idols, old idols, and they're resurrected again all over New York City, and they're, they're the old idols of old. Can you imagine walking in and declaring in the name of Jesus, those idols have to bow their knee to the Son of God, to the Lamb on that sits on the throne, and that idol is broken and fallen humble before the presence of God? That happened in the Old Testament. What makes it different today? We're letting them resurrect idols and, and set up policies and all these things, and we're like, well, we don't know what to do. Yes, we do know what to do. We have the power of God. We have the anointing of God, amen, that we can speak to this world that's trying to raise up a demonic influence instead of the Holy Spirit taking over our land. We're going to live in some good times in the kingdom. We're going to see stuff that's going to blow your mind. We're going to see those idols fall. I prophesy it. They're going to crumble off of their, plat their platforms, and they're going to humble themselves before the presence of God. Because when the church rise up, evil has to flee. And that's when the church, church will begin to have revival and get excited because we're going to see the supernatural power of God. How many is ready for that? I want the world to be afraid of my God. Don't mess with me. I will pray. Oh, don't pray. Don't pray. Yes, amen. That's the fear of the Lord, amen? And that's what the world should be walking in. Let's go on to say, in verse 12, I believe. And now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save them from death. What was she saying? We are terrified of your God. Not only spare my life. She said, my life matters, but I want you to spare my family. Please save my mother, my father, my children, my uncles, my aunts. There was a passion inside of Rahab that said, please save my entire family. We need to have that passion. Why? Because destruction is about to come to Jericho. Judgment is about to come to Jericho. There's an alarm sounding that the great God, Jehovah, is about to show up on the scene. So everyone should be getting nervous, and they should say, save me and my family from destruction. Listen, there's a destruction in the earth today. If we're breathing, you know that it's there. You know what policies they're trying to pass in the school systems. You know what's already passed in the school systems. You know what they're doing to our children. And we need to say, save me and my family. Get me protected because we don't want to suffer harm from the world. There is an alarm sounding. I think if the Holy Spirit could have a voice, it would be this loud shout of get ready, get right, get in your authority, get in your word. There's a sound of the spirit arising, and the church has been lulled to sleep. 2020 put us to sleep. 2020 put us in our homes. 2020 put us in apathy. And the church has been trying to maintain its grip and get back to where it needs to be. It only took two to shake a city in the Old Testament. You take a church in unity that says, we're going to get in the house, and we're going to make our children matter. Our kids are going to matter. My mother and father matter. I'm going to get them under the protection of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 14, our lives for your lives, the men assured. If you don't tell what you're, we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. See, God's going to take back the land. Let me prophesy that. America's coming back to Jesus. The nations are coming back to Jesus. They will bow their knee because God will not stand on the sidelines and let his church or his people suffer. Verse 15, so she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills, to the pursuers, so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return. Then go on your way. Verse 17, now the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us. In other words, we don't owe you this oath unless... When we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which, at le- excuse me, through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house, say into the house, unless you've taken the scarlet thread and also bring everyone into the house, any of them go outside into the streets, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But but if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Verse 21, agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So what did Rahab do in this story? The spies gave her strict instructions to be protected. Number one, he said, lay down the scarlet thread. Put it on the wall of the city because destruction is about to come to the city. The walls are about to crumble down. The supernatural power of God is going to come. And the only way that you first can be safe from judgment and harm is to be under the blood of Jesus. We have to get our hearts in alignment with the kingdom right now. We've got to have true repentance we got to have a true salvation experience with the Lord, not just coming to church. I'm talking about our hearts being pricked by the Holy Spirit of true conviction. I've got to get under the blood of Jesus and apply the blood of Jesus over my home first. But the next instruction, the only way the family could be saved is to get them into the house. Put the blood, but you got to get them in the house. Some of us can't even stand our family for like one holiday, one day, three hours. Some of us don't even show up because you know what the family is about. Imagine that pressure of what is it going to take to maneuver my family to get under the house of protection and the blood of Jesus. It's going to take a process, and it's going to take some maneuvering, and it's going to take some prayer. But she had a mission. She wanted her whole family saved because she knew destruction was coming. It wasn't the normal day of waking up and eating breakfast and going about her business. No, something changed. And this is the world we're living in. Something has changed in our world. And we're just living like it's going to go back the same or it never happened. And God says, get in the house. Get back in the house. Get your mother and your father and make sure that they are there. But if they're there in the house based on our word, then we'll take responsibility for them. They gave them a big promise and a big responsibility as long as they are in the house. Imagine how Rahab must have begun to negotiate her family. 
what would you do if you knew the only way to save your family from destruction, get them in your living room and stay there for as God only knows how long? You're going to do some things you've never done before. You're going to say some things you've never said before. You're going to pull out every stop to make sure they're in your living room safe and sound. She didn't care what they thought or felt. I will tell you, me growing up, my parents didn't care if I wanted to go to church. That wasn't an option. I don't care how you feel. Get dressed, get your butt in that car, and you're going to church. She didn't care how I felt. No kid wants to go to church. Until they get there. And then it's fun. And then they learn and they make friendships. It wasn't an option. We didn't wake up Sunday morning. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm trying to show you every tactic possible for your family to be safe in this hour. We woke up on Sunday. We didn't have to knock on their door and say, are we going today? No. We knew it was Sunday. We got up at 6 a.m., went to church, loaded in a cold school bus in winter Wisconsin or Illinois. It was cold, y'all. Frost on the windows. And my dad loaded up that school bus with teenage or children from all over the community and got them to the house of the Lord. And those children learned about Jesus. And us kids were in the back seat with them all. And then we had to load back on the bus and drop them off. And we didn't get home to sometimes 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not saying you have to do all this. I'm just saying this was our life. And then we went back to church for the night service. And we were the first ones there and we were the last ones to leave. Your children will be okay running around the church, sleeping on the chairs. You cannot give them too much Jesus. Listen to me by the Spirit. You cannot give them too much Jesus. This is the place of safety. It is the place of refuge. It is the place of repentance when they are in the house of protection. Amen? Point number two, the key to making it through hard times is to make sure you and your family are in the protection of the house. The only way we're going to make it through hard times is to be in the house. You may say, well, I don't have kids, but some kid needs you in the house. Some kid needs your prayer. Some kids need you serving in the house of the Lord. Some kid needs your resources when you give on Sundays. They need those resources so that we can get into these young people's lives, amen? Your part plays. Your time isn't over because you raised your kids. You actually have such a huge part to play in the kingdom still because we have to take care of other people's kids. There are unchurched kids. There are kids without Christian parents. There are kids with Buddha parents, New Age parents, and we want to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need examples. They need mothers and fathers and sisters of the faith to say, I got you. We have Kirsten sitting over here in the second row. We have raised her since she was 10, 11 years old. She lost her mother. They came over from across the street. Her mother passed away. We took her in. I call her baby Moses because she mattered to us. She got a whole family. She was never without, never loved on, never taken care, always taken care of, I mean. She never went without because she had a family. That came. Is that not the truth, sweetheart? I mean, she had proms, and she had homecomings, and she had resources, and she went to camp for free. We took care of her because she belongs to God. There are thousands, thousands more like her who need the church of Jesus, amen? 
So she did whatever she could. I don't know for sure, but I know what I would do. I would do whatever it takes to get my family in that room. I want to pause here really quick because Rahab had a uh, socially unacceptable job. <laughs> she was a prostitute, for those who don't know. It was a socially unacceptable home to walk into. It wasn't a place where, oh, this is where God really dwells. No, but I want to encourage you today that God loves to go to un socially unacceptable places and people. God loves to do that. And you may feel like you're not worthy, and you may not feel like you don't know my house, you don't know my mistakes, you don't know what I've done, Pastor Barb. God loves you for those exact reasons, because he will use your story, your place of victory to change a generation of people. God loves you right where you're at. I'm, I'm going to prophesy this to you, and the Lord has spoke this to me many times, but we need to get ready as the church that the unlovables are coming into the kingdom. And it's going to be part of the LGBTQ plus community. The Lord has already showed me that God is going to bring them to the houses of the Lord all over the nation. And they're going to find the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be no different if someone else was bound by something else. The church is here to love and to set people free. But the world will tell you, don't mention it because that's not love. Don't mention that because that's, um, what's another word, where I'm prejudiced or whatever it is. No, it's love. It's the love of God. We don't hate anybody. No color, no race, no status of life, nothing. But the power of God is here for the church to set them free. And I'm going to tell you there are hundreds and hundreds of testimonies happening already in churches across America. And they want freedom. They want the truth. But the world would say, this is acceptable and you're okay. And, and this is just normal. While they're driving teenagers to commit suicide because they're chemically castrating themselves when they don't understand what's going on. And they're committing suicide because there's too much torment in their life. Listen to me. What the world and the media and the government is telling you is not the standards of the cross or the word of God. It is a lie. And it's trying to bully and shut the church up. And we will not shut up. We will not hold back. We will speak the truth in love because that's what they want. They're testifying. Nobody ever told me I could be different. Nobody ever told me I could be happy and free. What a shame that they're in their 20s and nobody told them they could be free? That'd be like me telling you that you're alcoholic and, well, you're, you can never be free. doesn't make sense. We need to be the light and the hope to the world in this hour and have our hands of extension in love. We will walk you through. I don't even know how far to go because I just have a fire burning in my belly. <laughs> a Holy Spirit fire. You can listen to non-Christians, lost, transgenders that have so much regret and so much pain and suicidal and their bodies don't even make sense of them anymore, but the media will not tell you that part of the story. There are thousands detransitioning back because they didn't know that they really weren't going to be happy and the world says do it. I'm going to tell you, the school system and government are making policies to take your children away from you. We have to wake up. The president 
that the United States said that the children do not belong to you, they belong to the government. No, they do not. They belong to us. They are our kids. They're your kids. We present the gospel. We present our faith. The government doesn't tell us how and when we should raise our children. And there's a story of a mother that said her daughter wanted to be called certain pronouns at home. And this is what they're being fed. This is what this generation is being fed. They don't know better. The school system is telling them, if your parents don't agree with it, come back and tell us. And this daughter went home to her mom and said, I want you to call me by my pronoun. The mom was willing to call her by the boy's name, but she said, I want you to call me by my pronoun, and the mom didn't. And she went back to school, and the school said, don't worry about it. We'll give you puberty blockers without even telling your parents. She's in fourth grade. Fourth grade, and you're going to do something with my child I don't know about church? Where are we? that we're so full of perverted compassion that we can't even see what the world is doing. And this little girl started taking puberty blockers, castration of her sexuality at fourth grade. She got so confused, so overwhelmed, couldn't tell her mother that she went and stood in front of a train and killed herself. I'm not saying this to be a Debbie Downer today. There's so much I could tell you and probably much you could tell me. But if the church doesn't say it from our platforms, we are missing the mark. Why? Because the devil may have this agenda, but we have the house. We have the house. I am going to fight for your children. I am going to fight for your children with everything that's within me. The last three years, I've had a passion and this righteous anger for our children that we've got to create a place of safety and protection for them to experience the real power of God. Whew, I'm running out of time. Jesus. <laughs> There's a bill. You probably heard about it. AB 957. It's passed um, Senate committee already. And that is they have a legal right to charge you and the church with child abuse if we don't call them by their pronouns and allow their, their transgender process to take place. Yeah, good luck. It won't happen in the name of Jesus. But it passed Senate committee. And a lot of people don't even know about it. And they can take your children away from you because of your standard to the word of God. Because you don't want puberty blockers on your child who is confused. They don't know better. There is a demon spirit leashed in this nation. It is a demonic curse, and they don't even know why they're subjecting themselves to it. It's a demonic spirit. And we have to stand up in the church and say, no, you're not going to take our children. You're not going to break up our families. There's a, uh, and I'm just going to jump around here, and I'll finish more next week, but if I even get to all of it, I really want to. But um, Song of Solomon 8.4, if you could put that up. This is such a powerful verse. It says, young women of Jerusalem, this is Solomon, swear to me that you will not awaken love or arouse love before its proper time. Yeah. Sexuality is not to be aroused in our babies putting them through pride parades and all that sexuality. It's beyond homosexuality. That's not even what this is. It is perversion. It is pure disgust perversion. 
And they're allowing them to go to clubs where the, they're, they're cross-dressing or with drag shows. It's not just a show. They're showing filthy, disgusting things, doing drugs and having sex in the back room. This is what they will tell you, the world. They say, why are they exposing children? When you expose a child to their sexuality before their time, there's a confusion about their sexuality. And we wonder why. Why do they wake up and feel like they're gay or, or they're bi or cis or whatever it is? Those are demon spirits because their sexuality has been spoken to. They should know their ABCs. They should learn their colors. They should be singing songs. They should be kids. But no, they're reading sexual books to our children in school. And we just stand back, nothing I can do. I'll tell you what I did. I marched into Maya's school and sat down with the principal and showed him some curriculum that her teacher was teaching her against God. This mama bear, I'm a God mama bear, but this mama bear came out and said, we serve Jesus Christ. We have a higher authority. If this is being taught in your schools, I want to know why. And if you're going to do it, we're going to teach Jesus in this school. And he sat real quiet. He goes, I didn't know what was going on. I said, and you stop it immediately because we will not tolerate our kids indoctrinated with trying to turn them against their God and their Savior. And you know what? He did, didn't he, Maya? And I said, I said please don't tell that Maya's godmother came in and did this. <laughs> well, I don't want to put her in harm's way. I don't want the kids to hurt her. I just put my foot down. No, and if I got to go higher up, this girl's going higher up. Yes. I'm going up. I'll go up as far as it takes to stop what they're trying to do to our children. Yes. You might even see me doing it. Right now in the city of Peoria, young boys are allowed, transgender boys are allowed in girls' bathrooms. It's coming so close to our city. Yeah. We've been a very conservative city, not anymore. The school boards have infiltrated with ungodly ideology. Not just ungodly, demonic ideology. And we have to be the place. I have to wrap this up, because we have a lot to do, but I want to make this announcement, and I'll teach this more later, because it's so good. I spend hours putting this together. But I promised you that I would give everything to this generation that we can give. And I am going to do that. And I have been fasting and praying for two years. God, send us. Send us a couple that can really have a heart for this generation. That we can give resources. Listen, church, I want to pour resources into this generation. I want to do whatever it takes, all things possible. And... Um, God brought us this amazing couple. I first, before I announce them, um, I want to thank Pastor Matt and Ginger because they have held the helm of our youth ministry. They put thousands into our youth building. You don't even know that. You can be seated. You don't even know that. Pastor Matt put thousands into the youth ministry, building things back there, making sure they had a place, discipling them over the last two years, and I am forever grateful to him and them for that. But God has brought us a couple that is, we are starting a full-blown youth ministry, and I'll share more, but I want to welcome Franco and Lydia Davis to the platform.
Uh, before I uh, let, I'm going to ask um, Miss Lydia to speak because she has an incredible heart and vision for our youth, and you're going to hear it as soon as she talks. But I do want to share a little bit about who they are because one of the things I fasted and prayed for um, is, Lord, we need kings and priests. We need people seasoned. You can be seated. We need people who are seasoned in this hour. You know, we want to nurture in new Christians, and that's my heart too, but sometimes you need people to be at the front lines right away. Amen. And they've been with us for maybe five, six months now. Six months, six months. So um, we've been eyeballing them and uh, spending a lot of time with them, and they are super qualified and called, and we felt a kindred spirit immediately. So let me just read their bio a little bit. It says, Franco and Lydia Davis have been married 13 years. That's amazing. They have one son, Alessandro, age 10. Franco is originally from Lima, Peru, and as a son to missionary pastors, Franco and his family completed their assignment in South America and arrived in Anaheim, California in 2005, where Franco served alongside his family in worship arts while studying music at Cypress College. I do want to pause here really quick. We have never announced this, but Franco is now the new music director of the team. And you'll be hearing more from him and all of that. It's super exciting. In 2021, Franco graduated from Awaken Worship Cohort in Nashville, Tennessee. Lydia was born in Orange, California and raised in beautiful Costa Rica. In 2005, the Lord called Lydia to return to California. In 2009, while serving on the worship team at her home church, she met Franco, Franco who would soon become her best friend, ministry partner, and husband. Lydia holds a degree in business administration and is a recent graduate of LifePoint Christian University with a degree in Christian education. Lydia is also a board-certified mental health coach through the American Association of Christian Counselors and holds cert certificates in Christian life coaching and biblical counseling with an emphasis in trauma-informed care through Light University. Like... This doesn't make the perfect youth director, you know, in this season. To get together, Franco and Lydia have served the body for 18 years. They have been a part of several church plants, including Spanish and bilingual ministries, and have held roles as worship arts directors, care and connection leaders, and youth ministers. The Davises lead with the prophetic call to be conduits of God's extravagant love and redemptive hope. They are dedicated to building disciples, stirring the gifts within them, and helping them to discover their God-ordained purpose. Amen. Miss <laughs> Lydia, I'll go ahead and have you share. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise God. Come on. <laughs> I have notes because I'm just, I, I, I told Pastor Barbara, I was like, if I don't come up here with notes, I don't hand me a mic because we won't get out here until dinner time. <laughs> we are so incredibly honored to partner with the leaders of this house and with the amazing team that have answered the call to co-labor in the work of the ministry. This is not an assignment that we carry lightly as we know it to be true that the youth are the apple of God's eye, <laughs> his beloved children, chosen and set apart for such a time as this. Yes. It is our joy and privilege to reach our youth with the compelling and unfiltered truth of God's word. <laughs> we don't practice junior Holy Spirit. Woo. They're getting the full enchilada. <laughs> <laughs> It is our honor to disciple them, to stir up the gifts within them, and to send them fully empowered to walk out their God-given assignments. Franco and I arrived in this church in December, and um, I remember sitting in these 
front few rows, and I remember asking the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, as you transition us and we're looking for a new home church, would you bring us somewhere that's close where we can invest into our community? And he said, how about three lights down from your house? <laughs> how many of you know that the Lord answers, and he answers very specifically because he's concerned about the things that concern you. He's yes. concerned about the details. Well, when we were approached by Pastor Barb and the team uh, about um, overseeing the youth ministry, uh, Frank and I began fasting and praying about what it would look like. And how many of you know that I, I'm just, in as much accolades as I may have or certificates, I just, without the Holy Spirit, I'm not that good enough. I'm just not. Amen. So we began fasting and praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have us to do in your house with your children, with your beloved? And he led us into Isaiah 61, 4 and 58, 12. And we believe that this is a prophetic decree for the generation in this very hour. It reads, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations, the desolation of many de generations, and they shall be called the repairers of the Ooh. breach. Our youth are more than just Generation Z. They are the remnant marked by God with a hunger that won't relent until they see his face. A generation that will not be satisfied with the watered-down gospel. A generation that will have and be anointed for worldwide evangelistic influence. They are the repairs of the breach. The repairs of the breach of former generations, the breach that has come in broken family units via the absence of a father as priest of the home, mm. the breach of the misrepresentation of the sanctity of marriage, the breach of intimacy that has taken sex and sexuality and presented it in a perverted and distorted form. They are the repairs of the breach. Amen. They are the repairs of the breach of addiction in all its forms. They are the repairs of the breach that have claimed the countless lives of innocent unborn massed under the name of freedom. They are the repairs of the breach. They are the repairs of the breach that is disunity under the guise of political affiliation. They are, the they are the repairs of the breach that has taken the identity in Christ and sacrificed it on an altar of acceptance and relevance. Mm. They are the repairs of the breach. Amen. They are the repairs of the breach that has presented a counterfeit love masquerading as love is love is love. Mm. They are the repairs of the breach. They are the repairs of the breach of the church who know the works of God, but have failed to know the ways of God. They are the repairs of the breach. I declare and I decree that they will be the repairs of the breach. I declare that this generation of Joshua and Caleb's will not only answer God's call to exit the Egypt that has kept us slave, but that they will follow God into the promised land. Amen. Hallelujah. I declare that the remnant of this house will be about the father's business until the day of his return and who by faith and their faithfulness will inherit the promises of the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. The first direction of our teaching model will be discipleship. Discipleship is followership. The first invitation that God made to his disciples was follow me. And it is our heart and it is our desire that to train up your children in the word of God, 
so that they can be followers, authentic, real, confident in their identity in Christ. In John 8, 31 through 32, it says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth and freedom come in abiding in his word. We will begin our discipleship by diving into the word and the invitation made by Jesus. And we, with the biblical teachings, um, the youth will be um, in, in, um, immersed in his word so that way he, they are able to um, have lasting fruit into their adulthood. Amen. They will Good. deepen their relationship, discover their identity as defined by Christ. Good. And they will learn crucial skills to help them process not just the traumas of the past, but the things that they will be encountering today. Good. And then with the revelation of whose they are and who they are, as well as the authority that they have in Christ, they will go boldly into all the world and make other disciples. Amen. So with that said, we want to introduce the new youth name to you, if we could put that graphic. They are called the Remnant. <laughs> and they're going to meet every Sunday night at 6 p.m. So I want to pray and commission them. I'm going to have you guys go ahead and come down here. Pastors and elders, if you will come around them. And uh, we're going to pray over them first. And then we have a couple more things we want to do. Thank you, Jesus. How many are excited? We picked the right people, amen? God picked the right people. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Altar partners can come up too. Go ahead. Not the leaders yet. Hang tight, leaders. Yeah, just you guys. Um, yeah, turn towards me, and then we're going to get around and commission you guys. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for this amazing family that you gifted the kingdom of God. We thank you for their humility and their calling and their passion for this hour. And Lord, as faith builders, pastor, and our elders and prayer partners and the body, we receive them today. We receive them in their giftings and their callings and their passions. Father, we cover them with the blood of Jesus. We put a hedge of protection around their family. As they serve you, God, let there be angels posted at their right and angels at their left, Father God. No harm shall come nigh their dwelling. But, Lord, you will cover them right now. Cover them, Lord, with that hedge of protection. We thank you for their wisdom, their calling, and their anointing. And by the Holy Spirit, we commission them in the name of Jesus right now. We commission them in their callings. They will flourish in this house. They will flourish with their gifting. God, I see the Lord saying you'll step into a new anointing in this house, a new calling, a refreshing. The Lord says as you serve, a new joy is going to come upon you, and there'll be new days. I see the Lord say the days of old ministry is gone, but there's new days of laughter and joy that are coming your way, and you'll not have lack. You'll have everything you need in the name of Jesus, and you'll have your leaders that will cover you and, and protect you and come alongside of you. And we thank you for them, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Now, I want to bring up the new youth team to you. If you all could come up and come behind Franco and Lydia. This is their new team. And so I'd like to get all the pastors and elders around them again, and we're going to commission them. Amen. If you ever worked with youth, you need grace for youth ministry, let me tell you. And energy, and y'all got it. So if we could get our prayer part, just squeeze on in, guys. Squeeze on in. There we go. 
We have so many wonderful young couples that are serving new and being mentored by this amazing couple. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for this amazing team that you have placed together. God, you have knit them together with your hands. And, Lord, I pray that you anoint every one of them. God, give them leadership ability. Give them wisdom. We commission every one of them in the name of Jesus for the calling and the purpose of leadership in their life. God, we thank you, God, that they will catch the vision. They will run with the race of faith. They will have creative ideas, Father God. Knit this team together by the Holy Spirit. Knit them together in unity and in love. No jealousy, no competition, Father God. No place for the enemy. We cover them with the blood of Jesus. That, God, as they take this launch, they will be commissioned by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we receive them into this. Lord, we receive them, Father God, as the leaders of this youth ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.